times are strange We gotta free our grave for Snakes on a plane for Come on, I don't care Bought the cheap champagne We're going down in flames Hey, oh, I'm ready for it Come on, bring it Oh, I'm ready for it Come on, so bring it Hello and welcome to Filmlock. This is Glenn. I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And tonight we're going to be reviewing Cocaine Bear. Daniel, I am so delighted this movie is finally out. As uh, When this trailer dropped and broke the internet last fall, uh, people said that it would save cinema as we know it. Now let's listen to a bit of that trailer right now. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's more this out there. They dumped it somewhere. I'm looking for my daughter. Forest is a dangerous place. Hey, Henry, check it out. Something got into it. A deer, maybe. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. No, 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 don't eat that, don't eat that. Let's see what kind of effect that has on The bear, it fucking did cocaine. A bear did cocaine. That was from the trailer of Cocaine Bear, the new film from director Elizabeth Banks, starring Carrie Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Alden Ehrenreich, Christian Convery, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and also Marco Martindale, Ray Liotta in one of his final performances, and Matthew Reese. Daniel, this film is about a bear that does cocaine, so let's get right into it. Uh, I, I like that for all this movie insists upon its uh, lack of historicity because I don't think it ever really presents itself as anything but a freely adapted like 1994 Scarlet Letter version of history here like uh, they're just making shit up Uh, the real details of this case are that drug smuggler Andrew C. Thornton II which the movie takes pains to identify by name as if to say here's the real asshole that made all this shit happen Uh, it then presents this absolute farce of a bear running roughshod over Blood Mountain uh, in uh, which is apparently a real mountain in the uh, Chattahoochee Oconee National Forest on the border of Georgia and Tennessee, Kentucky, something like that. Yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee, there we are. That's right. His body landed in a driveway in, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, a man named Fred Myers uh, really identified him. They used real news footage for this and everything. Everything that happens after this is pretty much made up. The bear is three times as large and heavy as it was in real life. The real cocaine bear, the one that ingested some of this, uh, some of this dropped cocaine that uh, Andrew C. Thornton dropped out of his plane and subsequently uh, smacked his head and uh, caused him to fall to his death. Of course, we can't know if that's what really happened to him, but we know that his body was found down below and subsequently the body of a bear that had died of a cocaine overdose was found. Uh, That was an American black bear. It was 150 pounds. It is now taxidermied and sitting in a Kentucky mall. But Daniel, the bear in this film is an entirely CGI creation. It is 500 pounds, uh, which is an exceptionally large black bear, but you know, that's the movies for you. And uh, Daniel, what I want to know from you was, was this a good fucking time at the movies or was this uh, something else? This movie is the definition of your mileage will vary. The definition of it. I thought it was campy fun, but like for me, I'm not a slapstick gore guy. I'm not a blood and guts guy in general. I don't like horror movies. So that 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 really didn't interest me. What I'm interested in, and you 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 alluded to this in your in your intro, is Hollywood so broke for ideas? that they can only rehash established intellectual properties or create violent camping nonsense like Cocaine Bear. Is this it? Sequels, recreations, Cocaine Bear? Is this cinema now? 
<laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on this a little bit because you just lumped Cocaine Bear in with the endless retreads and sequels. This was a story that was uh, well pretty well known as a local legend. No, no, no. no. But, what, what uh, I'm saying is, is that the alternative? Is that all we get? Like in terms of, like, I mean, the only fresh idea is something utterly ridiculous. I will answer that seriously, and I will say that uh, the horror genre has produced some of the most interesting original films of the last few years. Most of the original non-franchise filmmaking that I have seen, of course, there are horror franchises as well, um, Insidious and uh, a few others. Scream. But there have also been a ton of original horror films, and some of those horror films are campy by by design, and this was definitely one that was conceived in that way. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, primarily known for having directed, uh, I believe, just Pitch Perfect 2 and 3. Um was not sure what to expect from her as a horror director. I would say largely this was made... Uh, first of all, I would say this was a competently made thriller. Uh, it, it did not always go for the obvious choice or kill, uh, in my view. It was... I mean, there were... There's a certain mis- misanthropy that goes into a man-versus-nature film like this. Um, I'm thinking, of course, of Snakes on a Plane, where watching people die horribly is kind of the point. Um, this movie sometimes did go for the obvious kill like let's set somebody up as annoying and then kill them in front of you so that you can laugh at their misfortune but it didn't always go that way and sometimes the kills went in unexpected directions there was there were a couple of really interesting and well done set pieces in this film including a fucking gazebo was really not expecting a gazebo to be an interesting set piece but Isaiah Whitlock Jr. a veteran of Five Bloods ventured into the woods once more and uh, managed to do something very interesting on the roof of a gazebo I'll push back on that a gazebo is always an interesting set piece in any property. <laughs> That's fair, but usually it's for whatever uh, whatever tense, period-specific conversation takes place underneath it. Now, this movie was not actually shot in Georgia. I was kind of surprised about that because it was Ireland, so many it? movies are shot in Georgia. It was Ireland, yeah. Um, but, you know, you find a nice wooded area to stick a CGI bear in. That's uh, That's going to do the trick. The visual effects supervisor of this film was Petra Haltor Stratton, and uh, she she's worked on the likes of other sort of, uh, I would say, more mainstream blockbusters like Jungle Cruise, uh, Skyscraper, and uh, Deepwater Horizon. And I have to compliment this effects team because this was a complicated digital creation. Uh, I believe Weta Workshop was involved. And uh, what I said on the night was that people on this team obviously had a discussion in detail about exactly how many dimensions of chaos would appear in the eyes of a cocaine-addled bear. Um, Because you're not creating something that's real. Uh, You're creating something that was real on one occasion, but you're just imagining what that would look like. You're imagining what it would uh, what it would do, how its behaviors would diverge from normal, how well, you depict no, normal they, behaviors. They didn't even go that far. They said cocaine equals superpowers. So what what sort of superpowers will this bear have? <laughs> what I said was that this bear's uh, key descriptor was uncomfortably spittily, and uh, like it was just slosh and drool over all, all over the place, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, what, what did you think of the bear as a creature, as a set piece, as a mechanic of destruction? I mean, the bear the the bear was already well high on cocaine before we ever see it on screen. We see it going crazy immediately, such that when you arrive in uh, it, when when the cocaine bear arrives in the movie, the audience immediately looks up at the screen and goes, "Well, that's the cocaine bear." <laughs> well, it's it's funny because uh, from the beginning of the film, like before even the opening scene, 
there were people in the crowd that we saw this in the theater chanting cocaine bear cocaine bear so like yep. i i knew going in that this is meant to be a bit of a cult classic yeah the cocaine bear is the anti-hero that we root for because the cocaine bear didn't ask for any of this it's not the cocaine bear's fault that it wants cocaine and it's not really anybody else's fault that they get caught in, in its path but they should know better than to get between cocaine bear and its cocaine the cocaine bear had layers uh, to the character or, or the entity which which it, was appreciated uh, it wasn't just a rampaging killing machine um i would have liked another layer though i would have liked to have seen cocaine bear pre-cocaine see how uh, <laughs> see how the cocaine has you know alienated him or her from the uh you know bear community and you know make bad choices like have other bears just shake their head at, at, at the cocaine bear saying you don't right. want you don't want to follow that path Get it together, bear. This is this is too much. You don't want to get dusty. Yeah, I I think that the cocaine bear is it, it, it's funny because you could compare this movie most readily to Jaws. Like, let's bring a bunch of uh, let's bring a ragtag band of people that are all hunting the cocaine bear, and let's just watch as it kills them one after another. Um, and it occasionally takes them seriously as characters. I appreciated uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich were both very good in this film. I liked them as uh, reluctant one-time friends. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich's trying to get out of it because his wife died. Like, that, like it's a layer that I was not expecting there to be in a film like this, and it generally took those emotional stakes seriously. O'Shea Jackson Jr. Uh, has to both be a good friend and whoop a lot of ass in this movie, and I thought he did a, he, I thought he did a fine job in both tasks. I thought these two worked together very well. Um, Alden Ehrenreich, I was last unimpressed with him in uh, as in and on uh, in and as Han Solo. So I was pleased to see him redeem himself. He started off as a singing cowboy, and uh, now he is uh, back as a drug dealing Midwesterner. And I thought he did a fine job here. Yeah, I think there were too many characters, but the ones that they focused on that they actually cared about, like adding detail and, and backstory to, like did a good job and mattered as much as a, a film about cocaine bear. Other characters can matter. Uh, I would like to introduce a metric into this podcast that we've brought up before. Ooh, okay. Uh, I would like to introduce the official film wonk, Daniel Laffometer, because... Okay, okay. Uh, we've alluded to it before. We've alluded to it before that I don't find most films funny that are trying to be funny. I laughed at, during Cocaine Bear. I laughed exactly, drum roll, drum roll please, zero times. Uh, I'm wah, sorry, dude. Wah, wah. I, I am curious. I want to interrogate that a little bit. Uh, Snakes on a Plane was a comparison that was made for this movie in advance. Well, I told you right after the film. I'm like, this is basically Snakes on a Plane. Well, you said that this is a movie where your mileage may vary. I actually disagree with that. This is a movie that does exactly what it says on the tin. Like Snakes on a Plane... You get exactly what you fucking came there for. Like, I, this movie exactly met my expectations. Well, your mileage of enjoying that may vary, is, is my point. Like, you know going into the film, it's about a cocaine bear. But whether or not you are into all the gore and into all the other aspects of the film, that's your variable, you know, mileage. Like, Snakes on a Plane, I was expecting Snakes on a Plane. I got that. That met my, my expectation. Did I care or even remember any of the plot? No, because I didn't care about any of that. I remember one one moment in that film, in which it was at the very end, when Samuel L. Jackson says, I'm sick of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane, and then they, he kicks open the door and all the snakes you know, fly out the hatch. That is my only recollection of that film. 
Yeah, I th- I think that co- the comparison is appropriate, but I also think that movie uh, it, it, it's it's an appropriate comparison insofar as the internet broke a little bit when that movie came out. This was 2006, so the internet broke in different and exciting and disturbing ways back then. Now it breaks in wholly different ways with the infrastructure of Twitter actually crumbling beneath it. Well, it's actually just broken now. Do you remember the fun like from like 2000? And I want to say 2005 to 2010. Like the internet was a fun place. Some of it was just being young, and uh, as far as it being a fun place, some of that was also being a white dude. I'm just going to throw that out there. But well, it's still fun for me. I'm saying it's less fun now. All of the highly regulated cookie warnings that appear now where you have to accept all or reject all or dig around in the settings, its uh, it has made the internet a bit less fun. It's a bit like sign this clipboard before you get to go into the fun zone, um, jump into the ball pit, as it were. Uh I would compare it to Snakes on a Plane insofar as uh, this is a movie that I would only recommend seeing in theaters, not for quite the same reason as like Avatar The Way of Water, because it's not a particularly visually impressive movie. I thought they did a great job with the with the bear, uh, the sound effects, the visuals worked very well for this uh, this character, um, the dimensions of chaos, as I mentioned. But the point of this movie is to see it with an audience. It's to see it with an audience that is laughing and hooting and hollering along with you. And I'm curious if uh, seeing it in those specific circumstances, even though you were not laughing along with it, did you enjoy the spectacle of it? Uh, I managed to see snakes on a plane while on a road trip with my late father. And uh, we were, we were there in uh, like on a, on a town in, uh, we were there in a town in Oregon on opening night. It was like a college town. Everybody in that room was, uh, was like, between the ages of 18 and 24 and absolutely raucous about snakes on a plane. And that was an ideal way to see that movie. We had a similar experience tonight with a raucous crowd of <laughs> a raucous crowd of people and a few assholes who had their phones out. And uh, yeah, did that experience add to the movie for you in any way? Yes and no. Like, I, I guess at this point, I prefer just to watch movies, you know, at my house. Uh, where I could pause to get a drink and not have to worry about paying like you know Coca Cola prices at a theater. For me, you don't pause the cocaine bear. The cocaine bear stops you. Well, permanently. sure, but I'm not off the tourist. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I guess it digging and digging. I guess if if I was going, if this was Christmas in Connecticut, then absolutely in a theater full of Christmas in Connecticut 1945 fans, I would have loved it. But eh. especially if they start singing along, yeah. Eh. I'm not. I'm not into like. Look, there was just too many characters. There was too much violence. I. It just wasn't my thing. I appreciated it for what it was. I had a good time at the theater. I had a good time seeing the film with you in person. But what I say, I would say Elizabeth Banks did a good job for what she presented and making it more layers than probably it deserved. But what I say, I ever want to see it again. No. See, I actually agree with that. I said see it once in a raucous theater and never again. That's the other thing I tweeted about it on the night. But that doesn't mean I disliked it. I I just think that the experience of seeing this movie is pretty singular to that experience. And if you don't manage to see it in theaters, maybe give this one a pass. Or unless it particularly appeals to you. Because campy horror films can be a thing that you just enjoy with your friends. uh, Or with a small group of people. But it's not everyone's bag. And sometimes the spectacle is the thing. I will go watch a baseball game in a stadium. I think baseball's boring as fuck. But I will go to a stadium to watch anything. 
thing. You said there were too many characters in this movie. I mean, we had Daniel favorite Margot Martindale uh, as Ranger Liz here. What did you think of this uh, quasi-cartoon character of a uh, of a ranger? As well as we have a couple of different uh, we have a couple of EMTs that are played by I believe this is Kayun Kim and Scott Sice. Scott Sice, commonly known as uh, commonly known by terminally online people as Angry Retail Guy. Uh, he's just got a very funny voice and a very funny intense look on his face, and it turns out. That is exceptionally well suited to a movie where you just have to react to a thing that is not really there. Um, I am so pleased that this guy got cast in this. I hope that he has cast in more things. He's just very much a captivating presence. He doesn't have to do a ton in this movie, but I liked what he brought to the table. Yeah, he's only, um, he's Chris- only in the film for a few minutes, but he, uh, he, he owns all of those few minutes. Yeah, ditto uh, Christopher Hivju and uh, Hannah Hoekstra, a couple of uh, Europeans that we've seen in other things. Uh, Hivju is in Force Majeure. I'm not totally sure I'm pronouncing his name right, but but yeah, Scandinavians are a uh, are a bit of a challenge for me. Um, yeah, they were uh, also in this film briefly. Most people were in this film briefly. Carrie Russell is ostensibly the lead of this film, uh, and I, I I mean we focus a great deal on the bear. I would say that she and the bear probably have equal amounts of screen time. Um, I liked Carrie Russell. I actually liked Christian Convery as the kid, Henry, that uh, that is with her the whole time. Um, this kid is actually pretty funny. It's the rare child actor that will pr- produce multiple chuckles from me uh, in a film, um, and I, I enjoyed that. I think but, he reminded uh, me of the kid from Jurassic Park. Mm, the original. Okay, that, that I was can see like, that. Like a foul mouth version of that kid. Yeah, like he's got enough presence where you're like, okay, I could see this kid being a non-annoying nephew of mine, even though he's a little annoying. Like that's that's kind of my feeling. Uh, you asked about Ranger Liz, you know, Marco Martin. Yes. Um, the bear, I'll always say this, the cocaine bear is lucky that that wasn't Max from Justified because that will be one dead bear. I have not actually seen uh, beyond the first season of Justified, but I have seen Margot Martindale play intense and villainous characters, so I can picture what you're talking about. She was, of course, the villain in uh, what was that pirate shanty movie we saw last, we saw a couple years back at the beginning of the pandemic? I don't remember, but she she was in that too, doing something similarly low key villainous. Um, we also had a we had a trio of teenage miscreants, and this almost feels like a meta joke of uh, of this movie taking place in the 1980s. But they were all played by like 25 year olds, and they made no attempt to even make them look like teenagers. It was very much like this is a gang of hoodlums that are going going around the national park and sticking people up with knives to rob them of. I mean, crime just seemed fucking quaint as depicted here. Yeah, they they did a fine job. I. They're mostly there to get beat up. Beat up and eat up. You, you need some unlikable characters uh, straight away. But even they had a little bit of depth to them. I enjoyed that. It was interesting, the characters that were set up to be the ones that were supposed to root for, like, root for their demise. We had the hoodlums. We had the tourists. Like, I didn't have a problem with the tourists, but, like, we were meant to laugh at them and, like, want them to be dismembered. I didn't want that. They seemed like a nice couple. No, see, that's what I mean by them not always going for the obvious choice. Like, they were just a random couple who happened yeah, to Yeah, but in the, the theater, uh, people were like, no, no, they deserve to die because they're foreign. And I'm like, no, foreign people deserve to be I'm different. sorry, did somebody come to your seat and say this to you? That wasn't the reaction I had that, to it at all. That, it was you. 
It was you who said that. You said, I hate Norwegians. And I, I hope right, the right. cocaine bear dismembers I leaned them. over and whispered, uh, Norwegians are getting what's coming to them in this movie. No, I did nothing of the kind. Now, Matthew Reese, uh, who is incidentally Carrie Russell's real-life uh, husband and, co- and former co-star from The Americans, played Andrew C. Thornton II. And that's a guy who got, fucking got what he deserved. Um, that's the other reason I liked Carrie Russell as a, as a choice for this film, was uh, she had to play a character who is not to be trifled with. And Carrie Russell does that extremely well. Um, even though she's basically just playing a mom on an adventure trying to trying oh, to she's find a cool her mom, in a dangerous situation. But yeah, she's a cool mom now. Um, and like, I, I can call her a cool mom because I've watched four or five seasons of her just like, you know, kicking ass and shooting people uh, on the Americans as a secret Russian spy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Daniel, that's about all I got. This is a uh, I, I don't think we even need to get into spoilers here. Like. This movie has no idea what people are like on cocaine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because they have superpowers, apparently. They're just hyper-violent, apparently. Listen, Daniel, I know you work in hospitality, but how much familiarity do you have with people on cocaine? Uh, I mean, I'm personally, because I wouldn't do that, but I know colleagues that worked in the 80s at the hotel business, and it was a routine occurrence at work to take a bump, get some work done, Go to the bars, that sort of thing. Wow. Well, I'll say this. Uh, there's definitely a certain vibe to this film that cocaine itself is the joke. And it's it's a joke presented for sort of safe middle class people who would never do such things, who can just kind of safely laugh at drug culture in a way that is completely non-threatening. I got that vibe repeatedly. And it felt like a deliberate vibe because as I walked into the screening for this film, the studio rep said Auditorium 10 and feel free to take a Coke straw with a gigantic fucking smile. Oh yeah, I got offered that um, too and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, the Coke straw was a drinking straw that it had a $100 bill printed across well, I know the inside. That, but it was but... a clever piece of marketing, but uh, but like, there's definitely a certain amount of this will only be handed to people who have never done or even seen cocaine. <laughs> so to that extent, the idea that the cocaine bear's behavior was entirely informed by cocaine stereotypes a la reefer madness felt like a deliberate choice on this movie's part i don't think this movie had no idea what cocaine is like i think it's a fair guess that elizabeth banks has at least been around people who are on cocaine uh and and you know there were choices made here this was a uh, script that was written by a first-time feature screenwriter i believe uh, named jimmy warden he wrote it as a spec script and his only previous credit is he appeared in the 2017 film the babysitter as quote some asshole and if you've got to have one acting credit that's the one to have well uh daniel any final thoughts on cocaine bear it's a bear on cocaine so if you're into that and uh, poor olaf his death actually got cut from the film uh, I guess this is my last question to you uh, for tonight. So Olaf dies, right? Like we get a very quick cut to his corpse uh, at the end. Um, or to, like, oh, if we did, I honestly did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like right before uh, they go but, back into the cave or they go into the cave, they they pass by Olaf. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I missed that. He died off screen. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's but apparently problem. they spent a lot of money on the prosthetic. Like they had a really cool prosthetic for his, his face gets ripped off. So they have a disemboweled and and uh, defacialized Christopher Hivju prop. Yeah, so like a ripped, like a bear rips his face off, but they but uh, wow. Elizabeth Banks cut it from the film, not because it was too too much, but because she felt like at that point in the movie, uh, the audience was on an emotional journey, and she didn't want to distract from it with a really grotesque last like kill, like before we get to like the big story beat moments. Uh, so Glenn, 
Were you on an emotional journey at that point? I think that we had enough we had enough of an experience. I'm going to keep this vague because we're not actually doing a proper spoiler section here. The other plot line that's going on here is the drug thriller side of things. The gangsters who lost their cocaine in the woods are in the woods along with all these innocent people looking for their cocaine. And fundamentally, they are fighting against the bear who wants to keep all of the cocaine for itself. So that plot line does not feel important at all. But the plot line of all these ordinary people just trying to get out of this extraordinary situation was something I could at least root for. And I will say, O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich did a good job of, in addition to being criminals, they also felt like human beings. Um, Ray Liotta was the cartoon meatball of a gangster here, and that's fine, because that that was what Ray Liotta, God rest his soul, was very, very good at. Um, you know, he, he, played it, he played it sincerely in Goodfellas, he played it sincerely in a dozen other movies, he played it ridiculously starting from Heartbreakers and pretty much continuing from that point on. Uh, deep cut, Heartbreakers, Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, shout out, but, uh, but yeah, Ray Liotta is... Honestly, I'm going to miss his acting. He is always uh, somebody who will be sp- who will be throwing spittle at the screen just as thoroughly as the cocaine bear itself. Um, loved him in Marriage Story a couple years back. Uh, I mean, this is a guy whose screen presence is perfect for slightly unhinged but absolutely captivating. But there only needed to be one of those in this movie. Everybody else was basically a human being tossed into the path. Of well, the they were heightened, and- heightened human beings in terms of like their yeah. personality traits. But they broadly acquitted themselves uh, there. I mean, when Alden Ehrenreich is the one shouting the trailer line, a bear did cocaine, he only had to dwell on that for a moment. After that, he was back to just being being a human being in the in the path of this crazy thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I, an emotional journey? Sure. Like, I cared a little bit about the survival of some of the people here, and some of them did survive. I'll give you that much. Well, I'm glad you had an emotional journey. I was not there. I was waiting patiently for the film to conclude, but I wasn't having a bad time. And I was like Ray Liotta. So uh, I think even though he was being the stereotypical gangster, I was having the most fun with his character. He's a businessman. I rather enjoyed Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as well. He's always good for a laugh as a semi-serious cop. And in this case, he had a beautiful little dog who he wasn't sure how he felt about. Um, And I got to say, and this is a spoiler for something that doesn't die. As soon as we saw that dog, I was expecting it to get bitten in half like a piece of fucking jerky by the end of the movie. But the dog survives. And introducing an annoying little purse dog and having it last throughout the entire movie, Cocaine Bear, was one of those bold and unconventional and unexpected choices this movie. Because I do recall, and this is the only other thing I recall from Snakes on a Plane, the annoying purse dog is thrown like a football into a boa constrictor's mouth. I do believe you're correct about that. I was not even thinking of that comparison, uh, but you're right. That dog does die horribly in that movie. Um, so yeah, I, I thought you would appreciate that the purse dog, it didn't ask to be bred as an annoying, yappy little shit. Like, what is, you know, you, you guys get, have, it to a, get it to a home where it can be loved. First, you have these incredibly strong and inappropriate feelings towards Norwegians, and now, like, purse dogs you hate? <laughs> like, what, what is, is something going on at home? Like, is everything okay? <laughs> I'm not being waylaid by purse dogs, but uh, I'm prepared for that uh, eventuality at any time. (laughs) Well, uh, I'll give you my score right now. I say this movie is a solid six. 
I am right there with you, actually. I think that this movie succeeded where it uh, with what it set out to be. I think it exceeded my expectations somewhat on that. I also think that if I had not seen this in theaters, it would leave my mind in a month. And having seen this in theaters, it will leave my mind yeah, in two maybe months. two months. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. This could become a cult classic in the same way as Snakes on a Plane. When a movie is setting out to be a B-movie, you never really know how well it's going to last beyond the immediate uh, internet news cycle. But... I don't know. Cocaine Bear feels like a special story to me. It's a bear that did cocaine, Daniel. Now, as for whether Hollywood is out of ideas or not, I will point you to a tweet I saw some time back. Uh, Hundred years of stories and Dracula has never met a dolphin. There are many stories left to tell. Okay. All right. I meant good stories, but okay. That's definitely, that's definitely an option. <laughs> that's uh, Dracula Dolphin uh, coming to theaters next summer. <laughs> Well, Daniel, I was glad you were able to make it out for this one. It was a hoot and a half, yeah, uh, and I was happy to have you there. I, I think on metric for the podcast, I'd like us to give our scores. And like we've been doing this for ten years with the same or similar format. Why don't we give our scores at the end of the episode, and then maybe debate why that score, like where we came to that score? Okay. Uh, I mean, we both ended up agreeing that it's a solid six. Right, but time, I mean, like so in, in no, movies no where we're more but... divisive on. That's fair. I mean, that will require me to think in advance what my score is, and I often end up discovering my score in the course of editing the podcast episode, just to take you behind the scenes a little bit. But uh, sometimes I come in with one score in mind, and then over the course of our discussion, it actually changes. Well, how about that? So, how, about, that could, how about we say we start our discussion with the score, like, and then say effects change by the end of the episode? Well, Daniel, I saw today that the Rotten Tomatoes uh, score for Cocaine Bear was solidly at 69%, which is kind of perfect. Especially uh, for, for that for one scene. meme-ready yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Yep, nice. Well, thank you for tuning in at filmwalk.net, and have a good night.